Well, today, let's pray, and we're going to get into the sermon. Father, um, it can be so easy just to go through the routine and the motions of church. Pray that today that we would focus on you. Pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, and feet that want to run with obedience. Pray that you would bless this service, that we will walk out of here encountering your love, knowing that you care about us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that came up just in prayer this morning was this idea of um, I'm in prayer, and then after prayer, then you're going to go shake some hands and drink some coffee. And then after that, we're going to come into worship, and then we're going to go to the sermon. And it was almost as if there's like different personalities that you put on, right? Like, well, we're serious about prayer. And then now we're telling jokes and talking about how good Ohio State is. And then now we're in worship. And now we're trying to engage God in worship. And then now we're in sermon. And one of my pet peeves has always been, um, God bless you if you're one of these people. I have nothing against you. It's just a pet peeve of mine. Is that, uh, you know, people say that I wear... 30 different hats. You know, I'm a coach, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a sibling, I'm a son, um, I'm a board member, and we have all these different hats. And what it feels like people are using that as is we wear different hats, and as we wear different hats, we say like, this is a different personality, or this is a different person. And this has nothing to do with the sermon today, this is free. You're like, well, what does this matter? And this morning in prayer, I felt like what God was saying is, stop, you're just a kid. You're just a child. You're my son. You're my daughter. So in biblical land, in a relationship with God, we wear one hat. And the one hat that we wear is we are his children. Amen? We don't get to divide and say, well, here's my church hat. I'm going to act good. Here's my Saturday hat before church. I better act holy. Because what that gets into is rules that we talked about last week. Remember last week as we're in this grace series, the Bible gives us freedom. Now, I don't want to preach the whole sermon again because I feel like if I start talking about freedom, then you're going to say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're woke? No, we're not woke but there's freedoms within scripture that we are called to live. So I encourage you all to please go back and listen to last week's sermon about liberty and grace and rules versus both of those. Because there's a lot of questions that we all have, but God's grace has set us free. Amen? Amen. All right, so today, as we continue in our grace series, we are talking about giving by grace. Now, if you are a regular attender or member here at the church, what you realize is we hardly ever talk about money. And today's message is not about money, but it involves money. We are empowered by grace we are transformed by grace. We are liberated by grace. And today, because of grace, we can be giving because of grace. 
And when it comes to giving, we give for many reasons. Some will give because they must give. They have to give. Because the Bible says you must give 23.5%. Now, we don't believe that the Bible says 23.5%. We believe that the Bible says we're, we have to give 10%. So some people who give to this church or their organizations, they give because they feel like they have to. And what is that called? Legalism. There's some people in here today who give out of legalism. Now, there's some people in here who don't give. You know what that's called? Freedom. <laughs> I'm walking in my freedom. I'm not going to give. Now, there's other people who will give because of Jesus, and that's because of a relationship. Because you trust him. Because you love him. Because you put all of your hope and belief that there's no, nothing that you can't trust him with. And I hope that you take this message today very seriously. Not because we want to build a um, satellite campus downtown Mechanicsburg. Wouldn't that be funny? Here, 40 of you go, down, <laughs> go downtown to our campus. The other 40 of you come here. Divide and conquer. I'm not asking that you take today's message seriously because we want to build a campus somewhere else. Rather, I want you to take today's message seriously because God found it important to teach us about giving by grace. God found it important. This is not me or the elders commissioning me or leaders here asking that you give a message about giving so that we have nicer carpet. Boy, would I like nicer carpet, right? And you guys, let me know if Jonathan's number comes up where he wet his pants or something today too. <laughs> Either way, um, it's not about bigger, nicer things. Today's message is about there is a piece of us that's not fully devoted to God and empowered by his grace because we hold on to certain things in our life. And one of the certain things that we hold on to is money. Now, if this is your first time here today, as I said, we talk about money about once a year. And if you listen closely, today's message is not about money. But when we give, we give by grace. Why? Because when we are empowered by grace, it means that God's grace is both the desire and the ability to do the will of God. God's grace empowers us as new creations to both have the desire and the ability to follow him. Because remember, one of the first messages that we shared in this series about being empowered by grace is grace has often been looked at as a, the great cover-up the great cover-up to live as I want and then God will forgive me and allow me to do whatever I want, right? So if I want to cheat on my test, well, because of God's grace, I cheated on my test and now his grace covers that. When we study grace, what grace actually tells us is grace empowers us to not cheat on our test. 
So if you're wondering where I get that from, just listen to this whole series and you will see that. So grace gives us the desire and the ability. It empowers us. Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In other words, God's grace gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So when we face those moments of temptation, what gives us the power? He does. What gives us the desire? He does. His grace does. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians 8. This is where we're going to sit for the rest of the day. I want to be clear. 2 Corinthians 8 is not about tithing. It talks about money. It's not about tithing. This is about actually going above and beyond. This is about the uh, heart behind your giving. And it's also been said that if you want to grow a church, don't mess with people's money. Well, that's not my plan today. But let's see what scripture says, right? Let's not pick on certain areas of scripture that we want to hear and then exclude or be frustrated when the church speaks about another area. And how many of you guys are cold in here today? The last thing I want is for you to be distracted by being cold. How many of you guys are hot in here? That's how a church vote goes. <laughs> we don't do those here either. <laughs> I was just wondering. I don't want you guys to be distracted. So um, if, you guys, if you guys are cold, we can have the ushers bring out the Snuggies. If you are warm, God bless you. Take your jacket off. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. The ability to give comes from God's grace. Your ability to give comes from God's grace. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Plain and simple, God's grace is mentioned 10 times in the next two chapters. And they all are about giving. 2 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9 are about being generous. Again, this is where we must think about grace differently. Grace is not the cover-up. Grace is the power to see transformation. So Paul highlights the Macedonian churches here as he's talking to the Corinthians. Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And what Paul is saying is he's mentioning the grace that God has given them. Now the grace that he's given them is the grace to have the power to be generous. Paul is doing this because they have set an example of what God's grace can do. Paul is encouraging those in Corinth to follow the sacrificial giving of those in the Macedonian churches. What is interesting, though, is how Paul describes the churches of Macedonia. He calls it the grace that God has given. The grace that God has given. So when he's talking about their generosity, he is saying the grace that God has given. Now you say, well, if God would grace me with a million dollars, 
That's not what was happening within these churches. So real biblical giving, that is the kind of giving that is an act of true worship, is only possible through grace. So just because you give doesn't mean you're pleasing to God. Because some of us might be legalistically giving today. Some of us might be giving so we can do whatever we want with the rest of our money. Because there's different kinds of givings, right? We can give in different kinds of ways. So first, there's religious slash heartless giving. Matthew 23, 23 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So what's going on here? There's people who are religiously and heartlessly giving. They're giving a tenth of their dill, mint, and cumin. Jesus is rebuking them. He's saying, woe to you. You're giving a tenth, but you're missing the point. There's other things that I would rather you do than just religiously give. So I wonder how many of us just religiously give, and then the moment we leave church, we start arguing in the vehicle with our family. Anyone in here ever do that? We've probably all been there. Don't lie. <laughs> We know Hannah does it. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> See, these Pharisees saw giving as a rule rather than a relationship. What was last week's message about? We are free. Amen? We are free. I was free to wear my hat up here today, according to Scripture. You don't believe that, listen to last week's message. I didn't feel like I wanted to wear my hat today, so guess what I didn't do? I didn't wear my hat today. And you're like, well, you can't wear your hat. Come on now. Don't make me pick upon the clothes that you wore today. That's not who we are. That's not about a relationship. A relationship with Christ. So the Pharisees were giving out of rule rather than relationship. This meant that they felt like that if they filled the rule, that they could do whatever they pleased. They felt like if they filled the rule, then that, that they would be pleasing to God. Jesus was saying this. He was saying that they needed to give. Jesus was saying that they needed to give and that they needed to show justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So he was saying, yes, giving is important. But don't give so that then you can not be merciful, not be gracious, not have a relationship with me. So what did Jesus do? He called them hypocrites because they thought that giving made them right with God. Remember the first time as a young person that I began to give. You know how much holier I felt because I was giving? You know how good I felt? You might as well made me an elder at that point. A 17-year-old elder, I'm giving $4.50 every month. (laughs) 
Look how wise and mature I am. I'm good. Lyndon, Billy Graham, Joey, $4.50 bi-monthly, if I remember. Giving made me right with God. You can tell Lyndon that too. How many of us are hypocrites because we think that just because we give, we're made right with God? Do you know why we don't talk every week about the boxes at the back of the room? Do you know why we don't pass a plate anymore? Offering was way more when we passed a plate. You want to know why? Because people were under the law. People didn't walk in freedom. They felt like if the plate is passed and they didn't put money in it, then the person next to them was judging them. So they put those few dollars in their pocket before church because they were more worried about man's opinion of them than God's. Anyone ever put anything in the basket out of fear of what people thought next to you? I have. Or if you didn't have anything when the basket was, you got real good when the basket would pass, you just put your hand in there, the sleight of hand thing. <laughs> So these Pharisees were giving heartlessly, religiously. There's also sacrificial giving. Philippians 4, 17 and 18. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So what's going on here is these gifts were not needed. This money was not needed. But the heart of the giver was to honor people, to help further a mission, to honor God. So what were these gifts? They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The gifts that Epaphroditus brought were fragrant offerings, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. So when, whenever we give, however much we give, why are you giving? Are you giving because this is for God or are you giving because you feel like you have to? Now, there does come a point where if no one in the church give, gives, then we're going to have to question. I don't want this to be about tithing today, but if no one in the church gives, then we're going to say, well, where are we? Where are we maturity-wise as a church? But hypothetically, we all believe that we have freedom not to give. Okay, well, we just probably won't have a building anymore. We're going to be meeting at Bud and Lynn's house or Stu and Tamara's basement, and we're going to be having church there, and that's okay. We don't need a building. The church isn't a building, amen? The church is God's people. But let's continue in Corinthians. Grace empowers us to be generous in all seasons. 
in the core of what we're getting at within this message is, do we trust God? Because it's easy to trust God if you're sitting on 10 million. Like, that's what we believe in our head. Well, God, I would be so much more generous if I had more money. Well, what's interesting in this scripture today is those in Macedonia were not rich. They were not loaded. They were not in the perfect circumstance. Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The average weekly salary for people around the world, or sorry, daily salary, is $2.50. The average daily salary around the world is $2.50. So rich, comparatively speaking, is relative. Amen? So those in Macedonia... They were facing extreme persecution. And many of them, through this persecution, were left desolate. Much of them had everything taken away from them. These people lost a lot, and their standard of living was completely changed. For example, someone from West Liberty came to Mechanicsburg and burnt your house, caught it on fire. And you had nothing left. Probably would it be from West Liberty. Where would it be? Would it be West Liberty? West, uh, West Jeff. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey now. <laughs> I didn't say it. What it would be like is this. Is your house catching on fire? You're losing everything. You have a few dollars in your bank account. And you hear about a need and you say, I want to help. Why would someone do that? Why would, be so, why would someone be so generous that they have nothing, but yet they're still willing to give? And that's what Paul is commending here. Be generous in this manner. They lost everything. Their standard of living changed, but yet they were still generous. And changes in our standard of living does not mean to does not need to change the standard of our giving. Because what man has done is man has made our standard of giving a percentage rather than man making the standard of giving what he has made the standard of giving. We give everything to him. And even though life was hard for those in the uh, Macedonian region, they didn't use their hard season as a reason to hoard or to not be generous. This is the scriptures. They were persecuted. They lost a lot. They were left desolate. And they didn't use the season not to be generous. Don't you want to live that kind of life? How many of our biggest fears and worries and frustrations and things that keep us up at night our money and bills and finances and 401ks and Christmas and credit card payments. In their poverty, they were still 
generous. During an economic crisis, when they had very little, not only did they give, but they gave with joy. Can you believe that? It was a joy for them to give. Some of us are sitting on a lot, and I'm not pointing any fingers, and it hurts to give. Some of us are sitting on very little, and it hurts to give. Some of us are sitting on a lot, and it's a joy to give. Some of us are sitting on very little, and it's a joy to give. They overflowed with joy and welled up with rich generosity. Now, why was this? Because giving wasn't about checking, a, checking off a spiritual obligation. Giving was about being a son and a daughter of God. It was about people who said, I want to love and trust God so he can have everything. It was about people who wanted to help God's children. Those in Macedonia valued what God wanted more than what they perceived they needed. Everything that we perceive that we need in life is still a perception. Because God can meet every need that we have. So, most people would say, if I had a million dollars, I'd give more. Anyone in here feel that way? You're afraid to raise your hand, aren't you? <laughs> I believe that. I believe that if I had a million dollars or $10 million, that I would be way more generous. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, yeah, test me. <laughs> <laughs> but I graciously and kindly say that's not true the million dollar test is proven each day how do you spend your money now how much does your heart break when you see someone in need how sacrificial are you what are you willing to lay down if you think that a million dollars or five million dollars would make you more generous, what it means is you're saying, I can now afford everything that I want, so of course I can give a little. God's not concerned with the amount that you give. He's concerned with the heart change. So why would God give you five million if your heart's not going to change? God wants you to trust him with everything. One author says this, uh, according to the scripture, he did a little math equation. And he said, severe testing, severe test of affliction plus abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals an overflow in wealth of generosity. So how does that add up? It doesn't unless you see God's grace moving the heart of God's people in a natural yet supernatural way. 